one of the big questions that we end up asking is, uh, how do I get better? How do I become more the person that I want to be? <clears throat> Not everybody actually makes it around to asking this question. Some people believe that they are doing just fine as they are. Thank you very much. And others um, believe that their life will be better. You sort of change the, the question just a little bit. They believe that their life will be better when their circumstances improve. And, of course, to some extent, this may be true. We are generally happier when our circumstances are going the right way. But um, tragically, this often blinds people from any of the internal work that ultimately needs to happen. Tragically, many people uh, go through life believing that everything will be better if they simply can get the next promotion, they'll, the, the next purchase, the next relationship, the next vacation, uh, something is going to happen that is going to change their life. They believe this in spite of the fact that these kinds of changes have happened in the past. They thought they would be uh, happy and sort of eternally joyful if certain milestones were reached. Those milestones are reached, and they don't prove to provide the kind of lasting joy that they thought. This belief is held on to in spite of the fact that we can look around and note that some of the more miserable people in the world seem to have all the toys, all the titles, all the perks, all the women or all the men or all the money, whatever it might be, and they are not happy. And some people who don't have any of those things uh, seem to have a deep abiding sense of joy and to be wonderful people. Additionally, it sort of also ignores this very profound truth that wherever we go, we are there. So to the extent that we are part of the problem, no matter how much our external circumstances change, we will still be there. And eventually, many people realize, I have to get better. I need to change. I suspect that given the fact that you're here, most of you have um, come to this realization. You are tired of bad habits. You are tired of besetting sins. You are tired of hurting people you love. You are very aware that you not only fail to meet God's standards, you fail to meet your own standards, and you would like to get better. Right? Well, today um, we're going to look at that. Uh, today, we're going to look at the path that we head down if, in fact, we want to get better. It, it does happen. It can happen. Have hope. We can get better. It's uh, not easy to do, and the path is not entirely common, but it grows out of something we're going to learn in this passage that was read for you just a little bit ago. We are listening in on a conversation between two remarkable women. Uh, women were quite marginalized in first century life, especially if you were poor, especially if you lived outside of urban centers, especially if, like Elizabeth, you were old and didn't have any children, or like Mary, you were young and weren't supposed to have any children, but 
you were now pregnant. Uh, the last time we were following in Luke, we saw that the same angel that had appeared to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, informing him that his wife was going to give birth to a son who was going to fulfill the, the prophecies around Malachi 4, was going to walk in the footsteps of, of Elijah, was going to announce the birth of the Savior. That same, uh, that same angel then appeared to Mary. Poor uh, very likely illiterate uh, girl living in a know-nothing town has the angel of God uh, show up and inform her that uh, she has found favor with God and she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah. And when she asks how this is going to happen, Part of what the angel explains to her is that nothing is impossible with God. Indeed, your cousin Elizabeth, even in her old age, has conceived a child. So when the angel leaves, at some point uh, not too terribly long after that, Mary decides to go visit Elizabeth. Clearly, she is thinking, who is going to believe this? Who can I count on? Who will help me? Uh, I need friends. I need an ally. And she thinks Elizabeth is one who might believe me. So she travels uh, to meet with Elizabeth. And that's the passage that we are looking at today. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, just... Uh, For the record, we're not entirely certain where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Uh, We think it's probably a 60, 70 mile hike for uh, Mary to get there. And this would not be easy traveling. Uh, You see here, I think we have some slides uh, of what the land looks like. I will remind you that uh, being told that the promised land is a land overflowing with milk and honey does not mean it's a lush tropical paradise. He was speaking, uh, they were speaking to people, the Jews who were living in Egypt at the time, where the, the wonderful delta of the Nile provided rich, uh, rich farmland. They were farmers in Egypt. They're being told, you will not be farmers in Israel. You will be shepherds. Milk comes from goats, and honey is just and you will eat whatever else the land gives you. The land of faith is a land cultivated to design faith. You have to depend upon God for this to work. This would be a fairly difficult journey. And I say all that just because I'm well aware that uh, I am quite unsuccessful in motivating some of you to join small groups because, well, after I get home, I'd have to go back out, and I have to, you know, get in the car, and I might have to uh, adjust the rearview mirrors and, you know, operate both the gas and the brake and perhaps the heater, and it's too much. I can't do it. Um, So when Mary's world was rocked, it's uh, a 75-mile hike through the desert. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered when, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's worth pausing just long enough to note that when Jesus and John the Baptist meet for the first time, right, when when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, meet, when the, the, the fulfillment and the promise meet together for the first time, John the Baptist instantly moves into uh, the role of worship leader, right? He knows the proper response to Jesus. He's not even born yet, but he knows how to respond to Jesus, Uh, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Um, let, let's, we've got a film clip here that I, I, wanna, uh, I want us to run that shows the moment Mary is arriving in town and meets with Elizabeth. Glad we had the captions. <laughs> There's a few things that we can sort of call out of this, uh, this meeting of these two women. It's, it's uh, noteworthy, even without sound initially, but from the text, that uh, Elizabeth is a great source of encouragement to Mary. Right? Here, she believes, right, even before... Even before Mary says something, Elizabeth's response is to acknowledge that she is in on what is going on. And she's an ally for Mary. Mary's not making this up. It's not a hallucination. This is what God is doing. He is moving, and Elizabeth is a friend. It's also worth noting that uh, Elizabeth pays honor to Mary, which is not how this would have happened normally. It wasn't, it wasn't a culture like ours that worships youth. It was a culture where the younger played deference to the older. But when they meet, right, Elizabeth's response is, Who am I that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? That, that is a shocking reversal of roles, and it, and it highlights the, the honored position that Mary has because She is the one selected by God to be the mother of Christ. The third thing uh, that is worth noting here is that Elizabeth calls Jesus Lord. 
she is the first to do so, right? Uh, the term Lord in the Greek, kurios, is a word that has a range of meanings. Everything from uh, sir on one end, just a sort of a polite title of respect, all the way to being a, a sort of a placeholder for the Hebrew word Yahweh, which the, the Jews did not ever want to say because it was such a holy name. It was the covenant name of God. They never wanted to take it in vain. They never wanted to utter it in a way that wasn't, wasn't worthy of God. And so they never said it, and they replaced Yahweh with the word Lord. And in your Bibles, when that has happened, it's, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That, that's just, that happened thousands of years ago. So this word Lord took on a, a greater meaning. It's obvious from the context here that, that it is close to that great meaning, right? Jesus, Elizabeth is recognizing Jesus as master and God. Right? She, hasn't, she hasn't met him yet. I mean, she, she hasn't heard him teach with power. She hasn't watched him walk on water. She hasn't seen him multiply food. She hasn't seen him heal the sick, raise the dead. She hasn't seen him go to his death on the cross. She hasn't seen him come back to life. She hasn't seen any of that. But already, she knows enough to say, my Lord. Jesus is my Lord, my God, my Savior. And part of the reason that she can do this is because of what God has, has, in, has told her. And part of what we see happening right here is that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want, us to, I want us to camp here because you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Spirit of God is indeed the divine catalyst for our growth. He is the the change agent that we are after. He is the one that helps us become better people. Now, let let me take a step back here for just a second and say that there's a few things we need to understand about the person and work of the Spirit of God. First of all, The Holy Spirit is God. God exists uh, eternally as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We refer to this as the Trinity, and we recognize this as a mystery. That is, it's beyond us. There are aspects of God's Nature and character that we cannot grasp. They're just too big. They are too grand. We are too finite. He is infinite. We cannot fully comprehend the nature of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't say anything about God. There are many things, indeed, that we can say. And it's not to suggest, as some people think, that that this is nonsense. To say God is one and God is three, it doesn't make any sense, right? Well, it's not nonsense. We're not saying that God is one and God is three in the same way. What we say is that God is of one substance but three persons. And, and the big point here is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all fully God. 
The Spirit of God is God. Number two, it's also important to realize that the Spirit of God is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, he's not a person like we are. We are merely human. We we are finite. We're not God. We were made in the image of God, but that's broken. We are fallen because of our sin. I'm not suggesting that the Holy Spirit is like us, but the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit is not a vague force like on Star Wars. The, the, The Holy Spirit is a person. The question is never, what is the Holy Spirit? The question is, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He is personal. He is our our comforter, our counselor, our advocate, our intercessor, our helper. All these words are used in an effort to try and translate what we understand about the Spirit of God. The third thing that needs to be said about the Holy Spirit is that He has ministered in different ways at different times through history. Today, he ministers to us, helping to equip us to exalt Christ. The Spirit of God has worked in different ways at different times. Today, at this moment, he he indwells Christ followers. He enables us. He equips us in order to do what we have been called to do. So, to say that the Holy Spirit has ministered in different ways at different times, if we go back, we can go all the way back to Genesis 1-2. Right In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface, and the Spirit of God, Genesis 1-2, was hovering over creation. He was present, active, preparing the world for us, Genesis 1-2. We see in the Old Testament that he, he empowers the prophets to fulfill their ministry. We see in Numbers that, that he, uh, he supernaturally gifts and enables certain craftsmen and artisans to have the skills to build the temple. We see that at various times he will come and direct prophets, priests, and kings in order to do certain work. But generally what we see in the Old Testament is that God would fall on certain people for certain periods of time. In the book of Joel, the prophet Joel in the second chapter, a promise is made that, that one day the Spirit of God will be poured out on all God's people. Joel 2, 28, one day the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all God's people. And then Jesus makes a similar kind of statement. He says in John 16 that to the disciples that it's good for you that I leave because after I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit to guide you. That's a shocking statement. How could it be good for the disciples that Jesus wouldn't be walking among them? But he says, it is good for you that I leave, because after I leave, then I will send the Holy Spirit, right, to guide you. And then after his resurrection, just before his ascension, he tells them that they are to go and wait for something to happen. And, and we read then in 
uh, Luke's second volume. Okay, he writes the Gospel of Luke. He writes the book of Acts. In Luke's second volume, he talks about this happening. In the upper room, the disciples and others have gathered. They're there. They're praying. And suddenly, the Spirit of God descends. Right? And, and it is, there's a supernatural event that takes place, and, and there's fire, they're speaking in languages they haven't learned, they spill out into the streets talking about Christ. Thousands of people come to faith that day. And then as we work our way through the book of Acts, we see that what Jesus had promised, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what we see. We see that the Spirit of God falls on the Jews, and then he falls on the God-fearers. Those are Gentiles who have converted to Judaism. And then he falls in a similar way on, on the Samaritans, and then he falls on the Gentiles. And we see the, the Spirit of God coming to indwell his people. And then in Paul's writings, we learn that today, those of us who are coming to faith after Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit fell in that upper room, okay, all of us who are living in a post-Pentecost day, that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us when we come to faith. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When, when we step over the line, when we give our life to Christ, at that moment, God comes to live inside of us. It's a, it's a remarkable idea, right? And, and if we will yield our life to God, right, part of the way he moves us, part of the way we get better is by allowing God to have his way in our life. Now, if you, if you haven't heard this before, right? There, there's a lot here. And it's pretty much all important. So let me come at this from a, from a different angle. I've talked about this before. There is a spectrum, right? There is, we're all spiritual beings. Our, our, our soul has been formed or malformed in certain ways. The saint and the terrorist alike, we're all somewhere on a spectrum. We're as far from God as we can be, or we're fully in the presence of God, right? Far from God as we can be, we'll call negative five. Fully in the presence of God, positive five. Zero is a point of conversion. We cannot be at negative five today, we cannot be at positive five today, right? Not this side of the grave. But when we die, we are told we go one direction or the other. We are either completely cut off from God and all that is good and wonderful and beautiful and gracious and loving, or we are fully in the presence, face-to-face, with God. We start... In negative numbers, because of the sin that is common to us all. We cross over the line, move from negative to positive numbers. We, we, we become a Christ follower by repenting, by, that is, agreeing that we need help, and, and 
putting our faith in Christ, at that moment, right, at that moment we are adopted into the family of God. Christ's righteousness is given to us just as we give our sin to him. The great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the Spirit of God comes to indwell us at that moment. We are sealed with God's Holy Spirit. God comes to live in our heart at that moment. This whole thing, this process of moving and of going across the line, this process can feel like a process. But there is a moment in time when that happens. When we are forgiven, when we are reconciled, when we are redeemed, when we are born again, when whatever term you want to use, there is a moment where this great exchange happens and we are adopted into the family of God and sealed with the Holy Spirit at that point. Now, you may not know when that has happened for you. Indeed, it may not have happened for you or it may have happened for you and you may know exactly when it happened or you may not know when it happened. At Alpha, we talk about this being a little bit like getting on a train in Chicago that's headed to Montreal, and at some point you cross out of the United States and into Canada. You may be paying attention and know exactly when you cross into Canada. You may not be paying attention, but at some point you realize, okay, all the signs are in French. I'm in Canada, right? I have crossed over the line. So this conversion, right, this is, this is a gift that is given to us. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We don't earn it. We don't try hard to be good so that we're good enough that God will, will adopt us. We receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness from God. It's all about what Christ came to do for us. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God that none of us can boast. Once you get on this side of the line, once you move into positive numbers, and you want to move further, then that's not a gift. That's part, this, this sanctification process is now something we work on in partnership with God. We cannot get better in and of ourselves, and God won't do it by himself. And so what has to happen is we learn to yield our life more and more to God. And, and we do this in all manner of ways that you already know of. We read the Bible. We pray. Those, those two alone are absolutely catalytic. If you will read the Bible for 10 minutes a day, pray for 10 minutes a day, I I promise you, your life is going to begin to change. If you've stepped over the line, your life will begin to change. There's other things that that, that we know about. Let Let me back up one more time and come at this again, because it's so important, come at this from a different angle. Uh, Kipling said, I have, what, I have six honest teaching men who taught me all I know. Their names are who and where and when and how and what and why, or I, I think I got them out of order. But let's, uh, let's just take those and answer those questions. Who are we talking about? 
we are talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, the shy member of the Trinity, shy because he keeps putting the attention on Christ. We are talking about God, and we are talking about uh, God's children, people who step over the line, people who want Christ to be their Savior and Lord. When, When does this happen? Well, the Holy Spirit guides it, can convict us, can be directing us down a certain path. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us at the moment we repent and and embrace Christ as our Savior and Lord. Uh, Why does the Holy Spirit come to live in us? The Spirit of God comes to indwell us so that we can do what we have been called to do. Please hear this, because some people talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that suggests that, that once we have God living in us, we have power, sort of God uh, at, our, at our fingertips to help us do the things that we want to do. That's not a good and helpful way to think about this, right? We don't manage God. We yield to God. God directs us. The Spirit of God comes to live in us so that we can do what we've been called to do, which is to proclaim the good news of an empty tomb and forgiveness of sins to others and to serve people, right? To to, to see the kingdom of God come, to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to that end, what we see the, the Holy Spirit doing is giving gifts to the church of people. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, we see lists of gifts talents, abilities, supernaturally enablements that come from the Spirit of God to people. Gifts of teaching and leadership and hospitality, gifts of giving, all kinds of gifts that God gives to the church through people so that God's will can be done. The kingdom can grow. People can be loved and cared for. What is it that we are supposed to do in order to see this happen? Well, as I said, part of it is what you would know if you just thought about it. How would I yield my life to God? I would read the Bible and pray. I would serve others. I would worship, right? I would, I would try and put the needs of others ahead of my own. There's a whole long list of things that, that you could generate that are all part of this process of disciplining ourselves to godliness, and that's one of the words that gets used. We are to discipline ourselves for godliness. This isn't easy to do. But there are a couple other passages that are very specific and unique about what it looks like to yield our life to the Holy Spirit. Luke writes about this later in the Gospel of Luke. In the 11th chapter, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Part of what we do is ask. For the Spirit of God to indwell us. I make asking 
part of one of the very first conscious thoughts of my day. Right? As, as my feet at the floor, I try, I don't do it every day, but I try to, to, you know, to, to, to ask for God's help and power moving forward. I've shared the prayer before, the, the John Stop prayer. It's, it's, it's in my notes, which are online. I mean, part of it is good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, Spirit of God. And then it goes on a little bit later. And I'm thanking God the Father for certain things. I'm thanking the, Jesus for certain things. And I thank the Spirit for being the sanctifier of my soul. And I say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I want you to fill and indwell me. I want you to empower me today. I want you to guide me today. I want your fruit to ripen in my life. I want to be a better person. I want the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control that you bring to be part of my life. It's a very specific, conscious ask. And then, through the course of the day, I, I... I ask again, right? So when I sin and I think, okay, Father, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have thought that, whatever. Forgive me for my greed or lust or anger. Forgive me for misusing my power. Forgive me for whatever it is. Then I say, thank you for the forgiveness that comes through Christ. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Guide me, Spirit of God. I want you to lead. I took control again. I want you to be in control. And it's just a part of an ongoing conversation that happens through the course of the day of saying, I, I, God, I want you to lead. We're told uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're told not to be drunk for, with wine, that's debauchery, but instead to be filled with the Spirit. It is a present tense imperative. That means it's, an, it's a command that we are to keep going back to. Right? Deal Moody said, uh, we leak. Right? We leak Holy Spirit. We have to keep going back and saying, Spirit of God, fill and empower me. And I trust, right? I trust that, that God does. It's not that I feel profoundly different. But I occasionally say, okay, I think that was the voice of God. Last week, I, I shared. I called a late, last-minute audible. I was planning on preaching one message. I felt like, you know what? I'm supposed to do something else. I don't like that, right? I don't like the scramble that comes with, okay, this may be the Holy Spirit. This may not be. This might work, it might not. But I think this is the right path. And based on uh, the, the volume of email that I got this past week, uh, not just people who think that they're at turning points in their own life, and not just the people who uh, say, I was like you, I started school early, I was a little twerp, I got picked on, but people who are struggling in their marriage, People who uh, say, I think I might have ADD, or people who say, I'm pretty sure my spouse has ADD. Uh, I just, I, I got a lot of people saying, thank you for that message. I, I read all the emails, I responded to a few, I laughed at some, I cried at some. 
But I came away going, okay, God does guide. If we, if we work on listening and being soft and asking for the Spirit of God to empower us. So more could be said. I, I want to end by praying. And I want to I pray. I want to give you two prayers that you might pray. I believe we have people here who are on this side of the line in negative numbers who have never asked Christ to be their Savior and Lord. If that's you, I want to say this, you know, it might be time to put your weight down. You're never going to get a better offer than you get from Christ. You're never going to meet anyone like Christ. Uh, Yes, you have questions. You will always have questions. But at some point you say, yes, I'm broken. I do need to be forgiven. I don't know anyone else who lived a perfect life like Christ. There's no one like him. I want in. I will be a Christ follower. And so I will... I will give you a prayer similar to the prayer that I prayed, and just in the silence of, of, of your own heart, you can pray that. Some of you are here, but you have stalled. You've come to faith, but you have not been growing. You haven't been growing in the last six months. You haven't been growing in the last six years or 20 years. And so I just, again, just a prayer to be full of God's Spirit. I want to pray those two prayers. I invite you all to pray with me. If you are ready to make um, a decision for Christ, I invite you to pray something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your love. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for a gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I, I can't believe that you would extend that to me. I'm sorry for my sin. I realize I have been selfish. I realize I have done many things wrong. I don't keep your standards. I don't even keep my own standards. And I confess that as sin, and I do need help. And I accept you, Jesus. I want to be one of your followers. I want to be more like you. I want to acknowledge that you are God and Lord, and I want to follow you. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you. If you are a Christ follower and you are stalled, I would invite you now and many times after this to say something like, Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I have taken back control of my life. I do this so often. I'm sorry. I confess that as sin. I truly do want to yield to you. I want to hear you. I want to be guided by you. I want the fruit of your spirit to ripen in my life. Holy Spirit, fill and empower me. The glory of God, the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Christ's name.